Today's sermon comes from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 14 through 29. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers, who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an agreement. When the overwhelming wit passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line, and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it passes through, it will take you. For morning by morning, it will pass through, by day and by night. And it will be sheer terror to understand the message. For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on, and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Parism, and in the valley of Gibeon he will be roused, to do his deed, strange is his deed, and to work his work, alien is his work. Now therefore do not scoff, lest your bonds be made strong. For I have heard a decree of destruction from the Lord God of hosts against the whole land. Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When he has leveled its surface, does he not scatter dill, sow cumin, and put in wheats and rows and barley in its proper place, and emmer as the border? For he is rightly instructed, his God teaches him. Dill is not thresheded with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin. But dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. To be human is to be insecure and in need of security. And we people go to great lengths to try to find security and to protect against threats. And as evidence of this, let me share with you some of the craziest insurance policies that actually exist or have existed. Keith Richards, guitarist for the Rolling Stones, insured his middle finger for 1.6 million because without his middle finger, he couldn't play the guitar. Actress America Ferreira insured her teeth for a mere $10 million. Soccer star David Beckham purchased career insurance so that if he had a career-ending injury, his insurance carrier would have paid him $151 million. This is a good one. After an alleged ghost sighting on his property, one British hotel owner took out a $1 million policy against the death or disability caused by the spirit. When the Russians launched the Sputnik satellite in 1957, it produced a worldwide panic. 
people concerned that this satellite was going to come crashing to Earth. And so Lloyd's of London actually wrote a $22,000 policy. That'd be about $200,000 in today's uh, dollars against someone being struck, injured by the falling Sputnik satellite. And then the last one company offers what they call change of heart insurance for the bride or groom that calls off the wedding. The catch there is that the bride and the groom don't get the money, but the parents who are responsible for all the cash outflow get a payment so that they can get back what they spent. Now, I share all these, and they're humorous, and they're extreme, but they reveal the desperation in our hearts for security when we face threats. Isaiah chapter 28 is a chapter about God's people seeking security in the face of a threat. And what we find here is there's two kinds of security. There's a security that comes from trusting self, and there's a security that comes from trusting Christ. So the question is, what is your security in life? First, we're going to explore the security that comes from trusting self. Now, what is the covenant or the agreement at the center of this kind of security? Verse 15, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol, we have made an agreement. Who is the you in verse 15? Well, in the verse 14, who rule this people in Jerusalem? This is the, the, these are the prophets and the priests, the leaders in Jerusalem, who have been mocking Isaiah's message. And we see this in verse 9 of chapter 28. To whom will he teach knowledge? The he there is Isaiah. This is the, these are the priests and the rulers and the prophets of Jerusalem mocking Isaiah. To whom will Isaiah teach knowledge? To whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast. What they're saying is, Isaiah's message is too simplistic. It's a message for children. The message is very simple, trust God. And so all these scoffers in Jerusalem are saying, that is such a simplistic, childlike message. That's not a message for people who are wise and smart, people who can strategize. You see, Israel, God's people, they were facing a severe threat. Assyria was about to invade. And so they mocked Isaiah's simple recipe for national security, which was to trust God. They mocked him and they said, no, 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 that's for children. We're smart, we'll take care of it. We can protect ourselves, we've got a plan for this. And that's exactly what they did. They made this covenant with death. Now, 
They didn't call it a covenant with death. This is Isaiah's message of the kind of covenant it was. But what exactly was the covenant that God's people made? Well, we find out a couple chapters later in Isaiah 30. Verses one to two. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, who make an alliance, but not of my spirit that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. The security of Jerusalem was being threatened. And rather than heed Isaiah's simple message to trust God, they went down to Egypt and they struck an alliance. They made a covenant with Egypt to protect them against Assyria. Now, why is Isaiah saying this is a covenant with death? Well, remember Egypt's role in the life of God's people. Right? God's people had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. Awful slavery. Miserable slavery. God miraculously delivered his people from Egypt and what we read in the New Testament is the New Testament uses that miraculously, miraculous delivery from Egypt as a metaphor of our miraculous delivery from slavery to sin. And so that's why Isaiah calls this a covenant with death, a covenant, an agreement with Sheol, which just means the house of death. They ran to Egypt for security, not God. Now, what's the promise of this kind of security? Well, because they had made this covenant with Egypt, who was strong and powerful, this is what they believed. Second part of verse 15. When the overwhelming whip passes through, that means when Assyria comes to invade, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. They believe, because of this covenant they made with Egypt, they believed they were safe. And when Assyria came in to invade, it wouldn't touch them. Isn't this exactly like the covenants and the agreements we make today when we're faced with a threat? It's actually no different. When threatened, we seek something in God's created world to protect us, but not God himself. So threatened by worthlessness or a feeling of, of not having worth as a human being, you run to a dating relationship to find value, to seek security, to ward off this, this threat of feeling like you're not worth something. Or threatened by failure, you run to a substance to just numb the pain of the failure or even the threat of failure, to ward off this threat. Or threatened by boredom, you run to a pleasurable experience to resist this threat of boredom. Or threatened by rejection, you run to gossip and slander to crush the person who is rejecting you or threatening to reject you. 
What I want you to see is that the threats that I just named and the agreements we make or where we run to for security is no different than what God's people did here in Isaiah chapter 28. There was a threat. Assyria was going to invade, and they ran to something other than God for protection. And we do the same thing. Threatened by worthlessness, threatened by failure, threatened by rejection, all of these threats come and we run to something, a person, a substance, a pleasurable experience to ward off that threat. And what's the result of these kind of covenants? When we make these kind of agreements or these kind of covenants, what's the result? Verse 18, then your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, again, that's the invasion of Assyria, you will be beaten down by it. So this covenant they had made with Egypt wasn't going to protect them. And the message is there is no security outside of God. There's no security in life outside of God. Verse 20. For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. What's that mean? Well, the imagery of a bed here is significant. It's the imagery of rest. Now, most of you don't have this problem. But when I sleep on a bed that's too short for me, it is not restful. It's miserable. So outside of my own bed, when we travel, sometimes that happens no fun, right? Or think about it, a comforter or a blanket that you go to wrap yourself in and it's too narrow and it doesn't quite wrap you up. It's not restful, right? That's miserable. And that's what Isaiah is describing here is the result of these kind of covenants or agreements that we make. When we run to something in this created world outside of God for security, that's where it lands us. Right? Israel, in, in chapter 28 here, refused God's rest and security and made their own bed in Egypt and found out it was too short for them. And it ended up in misery. And you know this by experience. You and I know this by experience. If I go back to the examples I gave, you run to a relationship because you feel threatened by a lack of work and you give yourself to that person. And then he uses you and mistreats you. Do you feel more, more worth after that experience? No, you feel less worth. You're in a worse place than when you started, right? Or you run to a substance because you're feeling threatened by failure. And though there's a, there's a season of, of numbing for a period of time, when you sober up, do you feel any less like a failure? No, you feel more of a failure. Or when you run to a pleasurable experience to resist the threat of boredom, after you've binged on maybe video games for six hours or you've binged on watching stuff that you shouldn't watch, when you get done with that, you don't feel less bored, you feel more in despair. You, for, you feel more meaningless as a result of it. 
Or if you, if you run to gossip and slander to crush the person that's rejecting you after you've crushed them through gossip and slander, do you feel less rejected? Not at all. We run to these things and, and they actually, what we're looking for, we end up farther from as a result of running to them. The danger of seeking security outside of God is summarized well in verse 22. Now, therefore, do not scoff, lest your bonds be made strong. Do not scoff means do not mock God's word. What that means is that the more that you ignore God's word and run to things outside of God for security, the stronger the bonds of enslavement get. Right? The chains of oppression and the chains of misery get stronger the more that you run from God to something else for security. It gets stronger and stronger and darker and darker and deeper and deeper. Author and researcher Arthur Brooks says money is one of the things Americans worry about most in the world. And he, he refers a couple of, to a couple of surveys. He said in one survey, they found that when the U.S. economy is thriving, when the U.S. economy is thriving, more than half of Americans feel anxious and insecure about their money. Another survey, during the COVID pandemic, during the COVID pandemic, what they found is that workers were almost five times more likely to worry about their money than about their health. Went on to find out that more than half of millennials with a net worth of greater than $1 million feared losing their wealth a great deal. And his point that he makes is that there's actually not a reason to worry most of the time, because only 11% of Americans live in poverty. He makes this concluding statement, which is narrow about money. I'm going to broaden it out. Listen to what he says. Brooks concludes, for millions of people then, worrying about money is not a reflection of whether their basic needs are being met. In fact, this anxiety reflects deeper concerns that money can't solve. And I would widen that out to say, this anxiety reflects deeper concerns that a relationship or a substance or a pleasurable experience or a slanderous word can't solve. What threat is in your life right now that you are longing to protect yourself against? What threat is, is stealing your rest and stealing your security? And then the second question is, what things are you running to to find security in the face of that threat? What are the things you're running to outside of God in an attempt to find security in the face of that threat? 
What's your security in life? We've explored the type of security that comes from trusting self. Let's explore the type of security that comes from trusting Christ. Verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. This verse is actually quoted several times in the New Testament. And it's there in the New Testament as it's quoted that we come to a better understanding of what it means. So the Apostle Paul quotes this verse in Romans chapter 9, verse 33. When he says, as it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in me will not be put to shame. Notice Paul adds stumbling and offense with this cornerstone as he talks about Israel's unbelief. Israel was trying to come up with a righteousness of their own and refusing to submit to the righteousness of Christ. And so Christ, the cornerstone, became this stumbling block, this stone of offense. The apostle Peter quotes from this verse in Isaiah in 1 Peter 2.6. He says, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Peter then goes on a verse later to talk about this stone as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So both New Testament quotes of this verse in Isaiah add the imagery of offense and stumbling. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, is offensive. You say, why? Why is Jesus, the cornerstone, offensive? Because you and I love to be in control. We love to be in control, and we really struggle to trust someone outside of ourselves. And if you say, well, how much do I really love being in control? Or how much, let's just talk about the human condition, right? How much do I really love being in control, and how hard is it for me to really trust somebody outside myself? The answer to that question is found when you look at how the religious leaders treated Jesus in the Gospels. When the religious leaders were losing control and losing status quo because Jesus was on the scene and was beginning to take from them, so to speak, when they felt that threat, what did they do? They got rid of the threat. And they did it in a very gruesome way in sending Jesus to the cross. They were losing control. They were losing status quo. And it was because of Jesus. And so they got rid of that threat. That's a picture of the human heart. You can't look at that and say, well, that was the religious leaders. I can't believe they did that. Because that's a representation of who we are. And so when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, when you look at the crucifixion, two things become very evident. Number one, the lengths that we will go to to not lose control. And the lengths that we will go to 
to keep control and to continue to trust in self. That's the first thing you learn from the cross. But the second thing is beautiful. You also learn as, as, you, as you look at the cross and you look at the crucifixion, that Jesus dying in a most gruesome and painful way, you see the lengths to which God went to rescue you from trusting self. That's the lengths that he went to rescue you from trusting self. At the center of this security that never fails is a covenant not with death, but a covenant with Christ, the cornerstone. And what's the promise of this kind of security? Verse 16, last part of verse 16, whoever believes will not be in haste. Trusting Christ brings rest. When you're faced with this threat, trusting Christ doesn't produce panic, produces rest. I love how Ray Ortland puts it. He says, the mentality of faith will not be all in a flutter, will not be driven, will not freak out, will not be scurrying here and there in frantic self-salvation. Faith in Christ can stand up to anything, any threat. But self-trust offers as much rest as a bed that's too short and as much comfort as a blanket that's too narrow. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter, when they quote this verse out of Isaiah, they both end with the same phrase, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That's the promise of this kind of security, right? The promise of security that is found in Christ alone is that you will not be put to shame. Now, here's what the promise is not. Notice what it's not. God never says that the threat that is pressing in on your life will not come to fruition. You see, Israel had made this alliance with Egypt that they felt confident that the threat was no longer a threat. And yet the Assyrians invaded and they were taken into exile. That threat came to reality. So God's promise is not that the threat won't come to fruition. You may fail. You may be rejected. You may enter upon times of financial hardship when three years ago you were swimming in financial blessing. Those times can come. The promise is not that the threat will be removed. The promise is no shame. And that when you trust Christ, you will find rest. Supernatural rest. When every part of your flesh says, I should be frantic right now. <laughs> I should be scurrying. I should be worried. I should be strategizing to get myself out of this. Promise for you is rest in Christ. That's the promise of this kind of security. Pastor Tim Keller recalls the story about one of his mentors, college professor named Dr. Addison Leach. And in one of his classes that Leach was teaching, there were two women that were very bright, and their respective parents wanted them to get master's degrees and to go on and to have careers, successful careers. Well, both of these women 
came to know Christ and went on to become missionaries or chose to become missionaries. And their parents were livid. They, 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 they threw a fit. One of the mothers called Dr. Leach because she was convinced he was the reason why her daughter, in her mother's words, why these women had become, quote, religious fanatics. Rather than pursuing the course they had hoped, getting a career and having security. Instead, they were going to go wildly off into the blue. And then this mother said, said this to Dr. Leach, we wanted our daughter to get a master's degree, start a career, and get something in the bank so she could have some security. And this is how Dr. Leach responded. It's a little bold. Here's what he said. Please just let me remind you of something. We're all on a little ball of rock called Earth, and we're spinning along through space at zillions of miles per hour. Even if we don't run into anything, eventually we're all going to die. Which means that under every single one of us, there's a trap door that's going to open one day and we're all going to fall off this ball of rock. And underneath will either be the everlasting arms of God or absolutely nothing. So maybe we can get a master's degree to get some security but the biggest savings account in the world cannot stop cancer. It can't stop accidents. It cannot stop broken hearts. It can't give you anything, any of the things that only God can give you. He's the only significance you can have. He's the only love that you can get and can't lose. Now, what's the result of this kind of security? Verse 23, give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? What does this mean? Well, remember, that when you trust Christ and you get this kind of security that never fails, it doesn't mean that the threat won't come to fruition. You may be rejected, you may fail, you may stumble upon financial hardship, that all may come. But what God's reminding us of here is just like the farmer doesn't plow the soil forever and ever, right? The, 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 the farmer plows the soil to prepare for the seed. And so God is committed to plowing the rock-hard soil in our hearts, but only to bring new life. In other words, God doesn't endlessly bring hardship and upheaval and disruption to your life. No different than a farmer doesn't just continually bring upheaval to the soil. It's for a purpose. 
And so God brings seasons of upheaval, but it is for the purpose of growth. It's for the purpose of birthing new life in you. The result of trusting Christ and finding your security in him is growth. And not only that, but personalized care. Look at verse 27. Dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor a cartwheel rolled over cumin. But dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Each crop requires its own treatment. Each crop has its own plan for refinement. What God is saying through this metaphor is he knows exactly what you need. And what you need may be different than the person next to you, which explains why you may be in a season of hardship and they may not be at the time. God has the right touch for you. His care is personalized. And sometimes, if we're honest, in seasons where a threat has become a reality, right? The threat that we feared has become a reality. Sometimes it feels like God has a sledgehammer out. And the sledgehammer hasn't stopped. And you wonder, does he really care? And this is the assurance that, oh no, he cares. And he is, he is tilling up the, the hard soil in your heart only to birth new life and to plant new life in you. One pastor shares the story of growing up at the beach on the Atlantic coast, and he would spend hours making sandcastles. And he would talk about these beautiful sandcastles and these cities that would come about under his hands. And he said one year, for a, a period of a couple days, some local bullies would come by and smash his sandcastle creations. So he tried an experiment. He took some cinder blocks and some rocks. Some of you see where this is going. Some chunks of concrete. Put it down in the sand, and then he built his sandcastle on top of these rocks and these chunks of concrete. And when the local bullies showed up, appeared, he disappeared, and he watched their bare feet meet their match. You know, our lives, in many ways, resemble sandcastles. They're beautiful, but they're very delicate and very vulnerable to the threat of sin and evil. In the story I just shared, which of those sandcastles most resembles your life? the one that just got smashed by the local bullies or the one that withstood the attack, the one that withstood the threat. Threats come and go. You will not find security through the presence or the absence of threats. You will find security in the cornerstone, 
in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world that's broken. We live in a world full of sin, full of evil. And every life represented in this place is facing some sort of threat. That is part of the human condition. And there's some people in this room, Father, where the threat is not just out there and may be coming, the threat has become a reality. Oh, Father, would you draw our hearts to the only security that can be found? And that is in Christ alone. Father, would you expose the, the various things and maybe even people that we've been running to for security, expose them for what they are? And that is powerless to give us the security that our hearts long for. Father, thank you for this meal that we're about to eat that is a meal of security that reminds us that we are safe, that we are protected in your arms because we see the ultimate threat of sin and evil having been poured out on your son, Jesus. And because of that, we're safe and we're protected. Father, would you prepare our hearts for this meal even as we sing now? As we sing to you, would you prepare us to receive it with joy? In Christ's name we pray, amen.